Welcome to the Providence College Podcast. I'm Stacia Walmsley. This fall, Providence College welcomed Patricia Smith, an award-winning author of eight critically acclaimed books of poetry and a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Smith visited Providence as the most recent acclaimed guest of the Jane Lunan Perel Poetry and Fiction series, named for the beloved English and creative writing professor emerita. For today's podcast, we invite you to enjoy Patricia Smith's presentation and poetry reading with an introduction by Professor Chard Denord. What stellar poetic, poetic and dramatic qualities have moved eminent judges and fellow poets over the last 20 years to reward Patricia with so many august prizes, publications, and awards? Here are just a few. Her oracular muse, her prodigious memory, her moral imagination, her transpersonal self, her electric voice that pays anguish for each of her ecstatic moments. As Emily Dickinson wrote, the poet must, in keen and quivering ratio to the ecstasies. Language lives in Smith like an organ she can't live without. If you attached a spectral screen to her brain, it would flash rainbow. So soldered, are her mnemonic cathodes to her muses' transmissions that she goes on eidetic automatic. So steel-eyed is her vision that she becomes one that she becomes prophetic without really knowing that she's becoming prophetic. Uh, so ingrained is her mission and her courage to write so memorably about tragedy, about racism, about all that affects her so deeply in this culture. After reciting her poem, Not My Imposture, recently at the Dodge Poetry Festival, Patricia stepped away from the microphone and commented, damn, where did that come from? Right where all of her poems come from, the sacred ether. How fortunate we are this evening to hear her read to us, Patricia Smith. Uh, thank you. That was an amazing introduction. Uh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the warm welcome here uh, again to Providence College. Um, I usually don't tell people this, but I come up, I always come up and I really don't have any idea what I'm going to read first because uh, I like to be in the space for a minute and then think about it. But I think I know exactly what I'm, and we had a wonderful reception and I had a, visited a class earlier where I, uh, I met some incredible students, incredibly curious students, and I appreciate them and thank them for giving me some ideas uh, for what I want to read. Uh, this book, Incendiary Art, um, this was my answer uh, or my attempted answer to a lot of the things that I was seeing going on in the news. And I tell my students always to listen for the voice they're not hearing. And in uh, a lot of the things I was seeing, the voice that wasn't being heard was the mother's voice. Um, you saw a lot of people losing their lives um, tragically, and the mother is kind of the last person anyone listens to. Uh, they knock on the door and say, you know, your son or daughter is gone. And then they knock on the door and say, the person that is responsible for your son or daughter being gone has been deemed not responsible. And then they disappear. 
So uh, this book was meant to be um, a tribute to them. So I want to read uh, a poem called Sagas of the Accidental Saint for the Mothers of the Lost. I don't expect you'll recognize my voice. I don't believe this saga I've suppressed will ever sound familiar. I am just a stooped and accidental saint, no choice except to strain the limits of my throat. I am the mama weep beneath the fold, that paragraph you skip, the wink of gold inside a rotted mouth, that shredding note of grief. Excuse what's inexcusable in me. The shifting wildfire tinted weave, my ankles blue with fluid, how I grieve in gospel you can't clutch. A fusible display of double negatives I spew whenever someone says my child is gone and then goes on to pile the blame upon my child for being gone. Or maybe you believe the wretched mess is rightly traced right back to me, whose body housed the crime. My daughter out of dollars, out of time. My son just seeking ways to be erased. So many ways they stride into the line of gunfire, tease the trigger, crave the shot, just living through their days as if they're not about to die. He totes a paper bag of wine or tussles, laughing with his kid, or rolls a joint or asks his boo to braid his hair while lazing on the stoop, or dares to glare when someone shoves. She fights against the holes around her throat or someone looks the same as someone else or sits inside her car or someone else's car or leaves ajar a door she should have closed. He plays a game of hoops to clear his head or doesn't raise his hands or raises them or doesn't stop or does or, when commanded, fails to drop his wallet, keys, or phone. He sets ablaze a heap of trash, somebody's car or store, while shouting slogans meant to make you care that he's alive. She's killed if she's not there, although she said she'd be, or there before she should have been, or on her way to work, or coming home, or walking like she should, not walking down the street she normally would. He walks too close behind. You have to jerk your purse out of the way. You palm the mace. He passes, spinning lyric, vile and blue, not caring that he's offending you. All you can remember is his race. You ask him to succumb. He dares decline. The situation quickly falls apart. A weapon's raised to line up with his heart because he feels entitled to his spine. She fumbles in her pocket for some change or jumps the A-train turnstile on a dare. She mumbles like her mind is not all there or titters in a way you think is strange. He wrecks his Chevy, waves for help. He calls the nine, the one, the one. He's waiting wrong. The folks around him said he didn't belong. He coughs or sneezes, looks away. He brawls with brothers, sisters, father, wife. He waves a Walmart toy, or he can't find his place in line. He laughs too loud. He can't retrace his steps. He droops his pants. He misbehaves. She turns her back or whirls around or could be packing, could be wanted, could be strong enough to snap your neck. She moves all wrong. He wanders into someone else's hood in colors that he struggles to explain. He prances, strides, he's plotting an escape. He stops and spins on you. He's there for your daughter, or he scoffs when you complain about his smell. He crafts a sign. He parks behind your Chevy, thrusts his massive fist into or through the air. He wakes up pissed, but right on time, then arcs his brow when someone asks, you good? 
He waits his turn or takes a break. He takes a leak. He frightens everyone with his physique. The situation's bound to escalate. So many ways they're asking not to be. She's wearing out her welcome, being black when no one asked her to. You've seen her lack of grace, the space she occupies, her glee when chicken, weed, or welfare checks roll in. He goes to class. He, graduate. he graduates. He takes the seat right next to you. His shoulder makes you quake inside. You simply don't know when he'll blow. She shops beneath the winking eye of video, but then pays with a card that can't be hers. His chest and arms are scarred with scrape and blood tattoos, so why untie the noose shaped like his neck? His clothes are blue or red. He wants your job. He scoped your wife. He craves your home, your cash, your perfect life. That textbook in his hand's not fooling you. She hawks and spits. She begs for change. She blows a harp. She blows through blows. She blows her chance, a victim yet again of circumstance. He's fighting back, but everybody knows that he's too coarse, too dumb, too street, too black, too dense, too doomed, too thick, too much of those, too vicious pose, too quick to come to blows, too likely he could spark your heart attack. He flares his nostrils, hides his hands. He flees without explaining why. She lifts, she steals, she swipes, she grabs. She snatches, cuts a deal. He stumbles, trips, he trips a wire. He sees too much, she needs too much. He feels too much, her skin's too mud. His skin's too light. He fights too dirty, fights for breath. The savage nights are huge with him, the voodoo in his touch. He shoots himself while handcuffed to a pole or hangs himself while hanging from a tree, or wrings his neck although his hands aren't free. He always seems to fail at self-control. He's a monster, ogre, he's the looming threat, insisting he didn't do that thing he did, denying that she'd hidden what she hid, confusing you by getting so upset. He claims he's innocent. He files a case. He lives too large, too long. He must believe that he is white or free. He's so naive, with every step he takes, he falls from grace. He steps inside or out or through or down. She bellows, jumps or hisses, struts or spins. He stalks a street, steps off a curb. His sin should be enough to drive him out of town, where he'd be out of sight and out of mind and out of bounds, but thankfully not out of range. And if you think he's all about the kill, the drops, the gun, and gangster grind, you know for sure as soon as you see me, his mama, grieving ugly, wailing about my child, my child, and plucking Jesus out of every bag. You just can't see why he deserves such stupid love. My wailing thrust, each Lord have mercy on my baby's soul, my sad theatrics as my child grows cold. And then the hungry cameras readjust my howls until it's not my child who's dead, but something feral, edged in leak, a threat to shrubbery and Sundays. While he's wet and seeping into street, they frame his head and mine inside a single shot and ask my hair and bulging eyes just what I think. I keen, implode on cue. They cut the camera back to frame the blooded mask and splay. You don't remember what I say or hear his name, but you are borderline obsessed with my collapse, my crumbled wine and holy ghosted flail, the matinee of mama. You are entertained until you aren't. And then I'm just an open maw, a blur and tongue. You shouldn't waste your awe on my unleashed display of overkill. Ignore the blackish bruiser dripping bile, the spittle spewing me, still bellowing, my lord, my lord, why would you let this thing disrupt my day? I disappear 
And while I'm relegated to an anecdote on way to nothing, all you can recall is sputtered gospel woe and Carter wall that corpse the tightened wire around my throat. That's my son collapsed there, my son crumpled there, my son lying there, my son positioned there, my daughter repositioned there, my daughter as exhibit A there, my daughter dumped over there, my son hidden away there, my son blue there, my son dangling there, my son caged there, my daughter on the gurney there, on the slab there, in the drawer there, my daughter splayed there, my son locked away down there, my son growing frigid there, my daughter deposited there, my son inside the chalk there, my daughter being bagged there, my son on the slab there, my son crushed there, my son rearranged there, my son crumpled in the door there, my daughter's neck shrinking in the noose there, my son's left eye over there, my son as exhibit B there, my son behind the wheel there, my son under the wheel there, my son slumped over the wheel there, my son, my daughter blooded and not moving in the doorway on the stoop down the block in front of her kids, just inside the barbershop, face down in the street outside the bodega, inside the bodega, in in the back alley behind the bodega, on the videotape, a block from home, leaving home, hanging out at home, in the schoolyard, on the blacktop, in his bed, in her kitchen, in my arms, in my arms, in my arms. That's my son, shot to look thug. That's my daughter, shot to look more animal, shot as kill, shot as prey, shot as conquest, shot as solution, shot as lesson, shot as warning, shot as comeback, shot as payback, shot for sport, shot for history. That's my son, not being alive anymore there. That's my child coming to rest one layer below the surface of the rest of my life there. Okay, I'm going to try and read from a series of books. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, this is my first book, and for some reason I thought it was a good, pic good idea to put like a picture of my, myself in my big forehead at four years old on this book. And I want to read this because uh, so often people think that you know these poems, I, I've built up to some of my latter poems, and I, I'd like for you to see what I was, what I was doing in the beginning, uh, which is not quite the same. Uh, I'm going to do a persona poem. I, I like to uh, I like to watch a lot of bad movies, and uh, this this poem was inspired by uh, the movie Clash of the Titans, not the new one. That was that was junk. The old one, you know, you know when you're getting ready for school or work and you see the skeletons fighting, and you go, "That's okay, I'm not going." Uh, that's, that's the one I'm talking about. And in there, Jason goes, he needs to chop off Medusa's head. So I love that scene so much, and I said, oh, wait a minute, I used to read a lot of mythology. How did Medusa become Medusa? And Medusa fooled around with Poseidon in Athena's temple. And Athena was like, oh, no, you didn't, you know? And so Athena was the person who turned Medusa, you guys know what I'm talking about when I say Medusa, right? Who turned Medusa into, you know, the snakes and then she um, turns men to stone, all that kind of stuff. So I thought I was gonna write a funny poem about Medusa going to the hairdresser, but, but it didn't work out. So uh, this is what, what I did. Poseidon was easier than most. 
He calls himself a god, but he fell beneath my fingers with more shaking than any mortal. He wept when my robe fell from my shoulders. I made him bend his back for me, listen to his screams break like waves. We defile that temple the way it should be defiled, squirming and bucking our way from corner to corner. You know, the goddess probably got a real kick out of that. I'm sure I'll be hearing from her. She'll give me nightmares for a week or so that I can handle, or she'll turn the water in my well into blood. I'll scream when I see it, and that'll be that. Maybe my first child will be born with the head of a fish. I'm not even sure it was worth it, Poseidon, messing with me like a madman, losing his immortal mind because of the way my copper skin swells in moonlight. Now my arms smoke and itch. Hard scales are rising on my wrists like armor. Come on, Athena. He was not a particularly good man at that, even though he can spit steam from his fingers. I won't touch him again. Promise. And we didn't mean to meet in your temple, but our bodies were so misaligned. It's not every day a gal gets to sample a god. You know that. Why are you being so rough on me? I feel my eyes twisting, the lids crusting over and boiling, the pupils glowing like red coals. Athena, woman to woman, could you have resisted him? Would you have been able to wait for the proper place, the right moment? And I'm, I'm looking at this poem going, am I going to read that line, really? I'm about to read this line. <laughs> Athena, woman to woman, could you have resisted him? Forgive me, everybody. Would you have been able to wait for the proper place, the right moment, to jump those immortal bones? Now my feet are tangled with hair, my ears are gone. My back is curving and my lips have grown numb. My garden boy just shattered at my feet. Athena, take away my father's gold. Send me away to live with lepers. Give me a pimple or two. But my face, to have men never again gaze at my face, growing stupid in anticipation of that first touch. How can any woman live like that? How will I be able to watch their warm bodies turn to rock when their only sin was desiring me? They just want to see me sweat. They just want to touch my face and run their fingers through my, my hair. Is it moving? Oh, I know. Okay, so I teach, one of the schools where I teach I have a hard time getting my students to write. So um, one day it was finals day, and I, you know, I'm coming in. I come in and I say, I, you know, they, they're coming to class. Their shoulders are slumped. They're like, oh, I'm going to pass this final. And I say, good news, no final. Yay! They carry me around the room on their shoulders for a while. And I said, but here's what I want you to do. And I asked them, what was their most difficult age? Anybody, what was your most difficult age? 13, 15, 57, <laughs> now. <laughs> okay, so the consensus when I talked to my class was 13. And when you think about 13, you're just, it's middle schools looming, your skin, if you have skin, something is wrong with it. You know, your voice is cracking or, you know, it's like, it's, it's awful. So I said, okay, here's your new final. I want you to write about being 13. I want it to be 13 stanzas, 13 syllables each 
I mean, 13 lines each stanza, 13 syllables each line. So they, they were like, good, I'll do this. But when I give my students something, I always do it too. So my 13 was definitely like, not like theirs because, you know, I grew up with Fred's Flintstone. So um, I'm going to read, not all 13, I'm going to read a couple of these. Um, yes. <laughs> Again, I don't believe I'm reading this. Well, there's nothing. Okay. Uh, 13 ways of looking at 13. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to read it. Can I read it? Okay. Right. I can read it? Okay. All right. 13 ways of looking at 13. One, this is for the girls. You touch your forefinger to the fat clots in the blood, then lift its iron stench to look close, searching the globs of black scarlet for the dimming swirl of dead children. You thread one thick path's cottony tail, then the other through the little steel guides of the belt. This has to be a woman of a certain age to understand this. You stand and lift the contraption, press your thighs close to adjust the bulk, then bend to pull up coarse white cotton panties bleached blue, and just to be safe, you pin the bottom of the pad to the shredding crotch of the carters. Then you spritz the guilty air with the cloying kiss of FDS. It's time to begin the game of justifying ache, time to name the mystery prickling that's riding your skin. You're convinced the boys can smell you, and they can. Three. Miss Stein scribbled a word on the blackboard, said, who can pronounce this? And the word was anemone. And from that moment, you first felt the clutter of possible in your mouth. From the time you stumbled through the rhythm and she slow smiled, you suddenly knew you had the right to be explosive, to sling syllables through back doors, to make up your own words if you needed them. All that day, sweet anemone tangled in your teeth, spurted sugar tongue, led you to the dictionary where you were assured that it still existed, to the cave of the bathroom where you warbled it in bounce echo, and finally, convinced you owned that teeny gospel, you wrote it again and again and again and a... Four. Turning, trying hard to turn hips to slivers, sway to stutter. You walk past the Sinclair station where lanky boys, dust in their hair, dressed in their uniforms of oil and thud, rename you with their eyes. They bring sound, shudder, and blue from their throats just for you, serve up the ancient sonata of skin, drum, and conch shell, sing suggesting woos of AM radio, boom, boom. How you just gonna walk on by like that? and suddenly you know why you are stitched so tight, crammed like a flash bomb into pinafore, obeying your mama's instructions to be a baby as long as you can. Because it's a man's world, and James Brown is gasoline, the other side of slow zippers. He is all of it, the growled, please, please, please. In the oh eight, in the bathroom of the whatnot joint on the way to school, you get rid of the starched and billowed lace, borettes taming unraveling braids, white knee socks, and sensible hues. From a plastic bag, you take out electric blue eyeshadow, platforms with silver glittered heels, neon fishnets, and a blouse that doesn't so much button as suggest shut. The transformation takes five minutes, and you emerge feeling like a budding lady. It was the 70s, okay? Feeling like a budding lady, but looking, in retrospect, like a blind streetwalker 
bursting from a cocoon. This is what television does, turns your mother into clueless backdrop, fills your pressed head with the probability of thrum. Your body becomes not just yours anymore. It's a dumb little marquee. Nine. With your bedroom door closed, you are skyscraper bouffant, peach foundation, eyelashes like upturned claws. You are exuding ice. You are pinched all over by earrings. You are way too much woman for this room. The audience has one chest, a single shared chance to gasp. They shudder, heave, waiting for you to open your mouth and break their hearts. Taking the stage, you become an S, pour ache into hip swings, tisk tisk as the front row collapses. Ooh, they want you. You lift the microphone. Something illegal comes out of you. Mama flings the door open with a church version of your name. <laughs> then you are pimpled, sexless, ashed, and double Dutch knees. You are spindles. You are singing into a hairbrush. Thirteen. You're almost 14, and you think you're ready to push beyond the brutal wisdoms of the one and the three, but some nagging crave in you doesn't want to let go. You suspect that you will never be this unfinished, all hail Mary and precipice, stuttering sachet, fuses in your swollen chest suddenly lit and spitting, and you'll need to give your hips a name for what they did while you weren't there. You'll miss the pervasive fever that signals blooming, the sore lessons of jump rope in your calves. This is the last year your father is allowed to touch you. Sighing, you push Barbie's perfect body through the thick dust of a top shelf. There, her prideful heart thunders. She has hardened you well. She has taught you everything. Thank you. Thank you, Madam Jane. Oh, let's see. I don't want everybody to leave depressed. So let's see. And, and, and then you look, this is when I look through and go, all my poems tend to be, shall we say, depressing. OK. Ooh, that's really depressing. Okay. Oh, okay. I can do this. So when my uh, oh, can somebody give me a time thing? Because I don't know. Okay. How long am I supposed to read? Twenty more minutes. Okay. Everybody okay? Yeah. You guys good? It's a good audience. I like I like it, y'all. Um, okay. So my my father, Otis Douglas Smith. Uh, uh, when I was a little bit older, my mother said, you wouldn't believe what your father wanted to name you when you were born. And I said, what? And she said, Jimmy Savannah. Jimmy Savannah. And I said, excuse me, and you named me Patricia Ann? <laughs> you know how cool a poet named Jimmy Savannah would have been? So uh, anyway, so this is called Should Have Been Jimmy Savannah. My mother scraped the name Patricia Ann from the ruins of her discarded delta, thinking it would offer me shield and shelter that leering men would skulk away at the slap of it. Her hands on the hips of Alabama, she went for flat and functional, then siphoned each syllable of drama, repeatedly crushing it with her broad practical tongue until it looked like an instruction to someone and not a name. 
She wanted a child of pressed head and knocking knees, a trip up in the double dutch swing, a starched pinafore and peppermint in the sour pickle kind of child, stiff-laced stiff and unshakably fixed on salvation. Her Patricia Ann would never idly throat the Lord's name or wear one of those thin sparkled skirts that flirted with her knees. She'd be a nurse or third grade teacher or postal drone, jobs requiring alarm clock discipline and sensible shoes. My four downbeats were music enough for a vapid life of butcher shop sawdust and fat back as cuisine for raids spritzed into the writhing pockets of a Murphy bed. No crinkled consonants or muted hiss would summon me. My daddy detested borders. One look at my mother's watery belly, and he insisted, as much as he could insist with her, on the name Jimmy Savannah, seeking to bless me with the blues-bathed blues moniker, the name of a grown gal in a snug red dress and unlaced all-stars. He wanted to sh shoot muscle through whatever I was called, arm each syllable with tiny weapons, so no one would mistake me for anything other than a tricky whisperer with, with a switchblade in my shoe. I was bound to be all legs, a bladed debutante hooked on lucky strikes and sugar. When I sent up prayers, God's boy would giggle and consider. Daddy didn't want me to be anybody's surefire factory, nobody's callback or seized rhythm, so he conjured a name so odd and hot even a boy could claim it. And yes, he was prepared for the look my mother gave him when he first mouthed his choice, the look that said, that's it, Otis. You done lost your mind. She did that thing she does where she grows two full inches with righteous. And he decided to just whisper, love you, Jimmy Savannah, whenever we were alone, re and rechristening me the seed of Otis, conjuring his own religion and naming it me. You guys, thank you. Thank you so much. I'm trying to even this out because, oh, how about this? Hmm. Okay, that should work out. Okay, so from the first book again, so excuse me for any, like, mistakes. Um, so you, got, you guys know about the romper room lady? No, okay, so the romper room lady, there was a show on television, and this was before Sesame Street, wasn't it? Or maybe Sesame Street was just start or something. So the romper room lady, it would be like being in a kindergarten classroom. So the camera's on and you're just watching her. Oh, we're gonna work on our colors, we're gonna sing a song, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that. But it was, and it was, it was I thought there was one romper room lady, but then I found out it was like a franchise. There were like romper room ladies in a lot of different cities. And one of the things she would do is at the end of the show, she would come up really close to the screen and she would go, I see Carol, I see Deborah, I see, you know, and she's like, oh my God, you know. So I thought, being who I was and graduating from Chicago Public Schools, that she could see out the thing, right? So I was like, I'd be all dressed up, I'd be like, oh, she's gonna see me today, you know. Um, but if you, it, since it was kind of live in a lot of places, there is a, a video of a romper room lady who went crazy on the air. She just lost it, and she started chasing the kids around like she was trying to strangle the kids. It's hilarious. Anyway, 
So I'm like, you can't do anything around a poet because we just grab it. Like, whoop, I'll take that. Um, so this is, this is her. <laughs> okay. When doorknobs began to feel cold beneath her fingers, she dreaded the twisting, the opening, the biting frost and full jazz snatches bound to slap her full in the face. So she learned to keep her hands very slowly at her sides. Such a proper oatmeal. Three, two, one. Once again, she poured her pupils tight into the camera. I see Damon. I see Kara. I see Michael. I see Sharon. She didn't see anybody. She never did see anyone, but they demanded the creation of box-top children, of toddlers with inquisitive blue ovals, with A's and B's and C's marching in uniform stupidity down their throats. She sensed rebellion in the silks of their hair. She smelled something crazy in the pale, sinewy skin of their necks. She could hear their hearts beating telltale rhythm. A, B, C, D, E, F, no! <laughs> if only she could pull their withery sing-song voices away from her face. If only her thighs didn't lean forward at night, remembering their sputter talk, their 60, 70 snaking fingers. If only she didn't always break just short of the stoplight. Terrorized by primary colors. Never wanting to reach home where her nights were indelibly haunted by the farmer in the dell and her screams were shaped like the heads of children. Sorry. Okay. So I think I might have... I just lost it. It's like, what did I write that for? It was so much fun. Uh, oh, I'm having a problem now. Okay, so I've got probably about 10 minutes. All right. Okay, I'll read this. That's about 10 minutes worth. Yeah. All right, so a friend of mine, John Freeman, um, there's an online journal called LitHub. And uh, he called me and said, I want you to write something for LitHub. What I'm asking people to do is to write letters to the times we live in. And I said, oh, that sounds interesting. And then he said to me, for some strange reason, you could probably do it as a poem, but that would be too hard. I was like, goodbye, John. I will talk to you later. Um, so I didn't, I didn't write to the times we live in, because poets never, ever listen to what you tell them to do. Uh, what I did was I wrote a, a letter to black history, to, set, to different elements of, of black history. So, so it starts out like on a slave ship and moves forward to that. Uh, and it is, um, you'll, you'll figure out. It's, it's like sonnets, but it's like a crown, but it's not the full length of a crown. Um, but it's called Salutations in Search of. And what it is, it's the letter keeps trying to rewrite itself. Dear floaters, bloated kin. Dear flooded necks and reckless leapers manic for the flow. Though you are elegant in flight, your wrecks distress the ocean's floor, the stark tableaus of sliding skin and swarms of slither set to drumbeat in your hollows. This is free, proclaimed by slaver's scourge. D. 
do you regret rebutting scar with water? Dear debris, that ocean's mothers all your rampant funk and spurts her undulating arms for you. She likes to think that you are simply drunk with purpose. Dear the voyage never knew your name. You rise in pieces, loved to death, at last unshackled. Time will hold your breath. Dear wild tumultuous, your mouth, dear God, your mouth in fevered skirmish with the tongue, denying sound for rope or goldenrod. Dear mouth, still bulging with Atlantic, wrung into its new. Your tangled words are lashed into the back, intending to explain the gritted teeth expected for a flash of rot, a chain that's wrenched away with clinging shreds of skin. Dear going to market, beauty on the block, seed driven deep. Dear chartered womb, within you squirms a tendency, a paradox. You trusted voyage, trust to kin, and found the tongue through tumult. Now you need a sound. Dear mute contrivance, graceless drudge, dear hexed, dear wily roots and conjures, dear persist with your existence, flaunting all that flexed and bumptious brawn, dear flagrantly dismissed, the writhing in the cottonwood, dear flail and drip, dear runaway who runs the hell away, dear prey for drooling cur, dear veil of Judas moon, its murmured decibel of light, dear cautious measurer of splay and fury in a heedless star, dear we, Dear woman who must now learn to unsay her purpose as a mute machine. Dear be that soft alive. Dear man whose beating drum was lost at sea. What nouns will you become? Dear lurch and pirouette. Dear flamed facade. Dear eye that won't dissolve. Your audience, obsessed with shrinkage, fancies to applaud and whoop. But damn that eye and the suspense and dogged smolder of its wide aloud. Identified and doomed to swing, you vow to witness. Your enraptured crowd delighting in your new scene as a thing to do, do not wish to be seen by you. Dear languid rumba, freakish scorch and sway, dear blackened reckoning, dear charred askew, this dear stuff of nightmares seeping into day, the fire has died, there's nothing of you there, but still they see the fiction in your glare. Dear Langston, Zora, Louis, Josephine, dear Harlem, their rampaging stanzas, still explosive, whether they are sugar-lean pronouncements from a horn, the thrill of stories touting faces like the ones who hallelujah every time they read themselves, or, not to be outdone, a pure astonishment of women. Need this nurture and this verb on dimming days. Dear give you back your name, dear higher ground, dear noontime strutter balancing pesnays and being Negro all upside that town, dear swinger to a thicker harmony, dear every man they said you couldn't be. Dear migrant on a greyhound stunned upright or crammed into a wheezing Plymouth or bewildered by the rails soon to ignite beneath your seat, dear locked and shuttered door with you on both the sides, dear bound to be more partial to the heat, Folks say the chill in old Chicago knows your bones. The key is birthing your own son and clutching till it walks with you. Dear you, already done surrendering magnolias, feigning shame at chitlins, holding that amusing gun to your own truant heart. Dear faultless aim, dear northern body scrubs at what it must, that wily scarlet slap of southern dust. Dear edgy citizen, dear crazed Corrine, through multitudes of all the same as you, your skittish eyes outstretch, dear seen, and then, as if on cue, unseen. You knew enough to heed the itchy song that cooed you into rusty, yawning maws of factories. 
steer often in the wrong direction. Dear Chicago digs its claws in you. The, the rank air gorgeous with disease and pay stubs. Mayor Daly's startling swell, his pocked and blustered face and odd reprise of those you thought you left behind. Dear bell that keeps on ringing, blues that hit their mark and make you dance all righteous in the dark. Dear still a nigger in all kinds of light. Dear, bull stop, dear bullseye, trees rise up on spindly toes whenever all your skin strolls by. Dear quite mistake of you, the way you dare expose your neck and walk as if you own a thing. Dear blue on you, and don't you wish there was a ship, one chance to take a frenzied wing into the ocean? Nothing but the buzz of flashers pinning you against the past. Dear suicide, dear bullet in the back, dear in the headlights, you're not tagged to last until the morning. You are tagged to crack beneath their weight, and don't you dare believe that any one of them will let you breathe. Dear George, Trayvon, Brianna, Bree, Tamir, Alashiana, Dominic, Jamel, Antonio, D'Angelo, Romere, Ashante, Botham, Terrence, John, Chanel, Stefan, Falando, Kentry, B, Leline, Romello, Emmett, Eleanor, Monte, Janisha, Kiki, Alton, Mac, Francine, Tanisha, Eric, Dominic, Renee, Michelle, Elijah, Nia, Amadou, Akai, Manina, Cortez, Kentry, Sean, Alberta, Michael, Gabriella, Lou, Natasha, Brooklyn, Walter, Lee, Laquan, Ahmad, Mohammed, Elray, Ara, Shane, Richard, Denali, Sandra, Oscar, Blaine. Dear someone who woke up without a son, Dear damn the dawning, echoes of a knock with no boy crouched behind it, nothing done to fix it. Dear reverberating shock, dear someone flailing, ripping at the air, dear hollow where he was. Dear someone who's obsessed with resurrecting him, who dares believe the muck of bullet hole and bruise will ever breathe as anything but dead. Dear someone loving body on its way to being only body, just that red and syrupy annoyance hosed away when street decorum says it will. Dear dam, dear chalk all washed to none, dear traffic jam, dear woman, wounded by the things you've heard, dear angry all your days, dear vibing wire on top of your head, dear better watch the words you say to white folks, don't make them tired of you, dear wish you'd pinch those no nostrils down, that nose is half your face, dear talk too loud, dear stay out the sun, you fool around, get blacker than you are, what, you too proud to settle for that ordinary man, gonna be too late real soon, dear press those naps, and don't you tell me that you plan on yelling about that Black Lives Matter mess, dear who the hell do you think you are, dear who in the hell do you think you are, are. Dear someone who got, woke up without a son and, spurned, and spun the blues, the singer moaned so loud the record skipped to save itself. Dear done so wrong, dear frying lettuce in the lard, dear wonder could a matchbox hold your clothes. Your child's been scraped up off the boulevard. Since then, ain't seen yourself. Do you suppose some rebel yell can find you, hit you hard? Dear someone who has chosen just to rust instead of breathe. Here's how they lie to you. Your child will keep on dying, and you must keep punching play to watch him blue and blue until he trends. Then he's a photograph who laughs at you and rips himself in half. I rip another page in half. Dear, dear, and start again. Dear floaters, 
bloated kin, dear flooded necks, dear wild tumultuous, your mouth, dear God, dear moot contrivance, graceless drudge, dear hexed, dear lurch and pirouette, dear flame facade, dear Langston, Zora, Louis, Josephine, dear migrant on a greyhound, stunned upright, dear edgy citizen, dear crazed Kareem, dear still a nigger in the neon's light, dear George Trevon, Brianna Bree Tamir, dear someone who woke up without a son, dear woman wounded by the things you hear, dear anyone who wakes up without the sun. Thank you all very much. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Providence College Podcast. And thank you to our producer, Chris Judge. I'm Stacia Wamsley. Check in on Mondays for new episodes available everywhere you get your podcasts.